0: City Hope, Morning. everybody doing good yes. on this wonderful Christmas Eve. It's great to see you and all of the campuses, the guys at the correctional facility joining us on Christmas Eve. And anybody near you wearing a crazy Christmas sweater, point them out. <laughs> really, we had three or four weird—I mean, three or four—in the first service. But uh, hey, it's great to see you. You're looking great. Um. It's hard to believe it's Christmas, right? It really is. And we wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, I want to uh, ask you to turn to or open up to Matthew chapter 2. Instead of looking at the Christmas story through the book of Luke, I want to look at something in the book of Matthew. So if you'll join me there. And I want you to think about this as I get into this message, okay? When his presence came into the world, people began to worship him. People began to show up to worship him. So in this message, I'm going to focus mainly on the wise men. That's what we call them. That's what's been translated. That's not their real name they were wise but we'll look into that and show you so i want to read some verses here just this one text and i'll come back and pull two or three out of this same section and break this down verse one now after jesus was born not before after he was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of herod the king behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem not Bethlehem after he was born they went to Jerusalem first saying where is he they don't know where he is who has been born king of the kings for we've seen the star we're going to talk about the star you've heard the star is it just a decoration we put on top of the tree where did this star come from well, we've seen the star in the east and have come to worship him when Herod the king heard this he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, these are the people who know the Scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Torah. So, but these are the ones who know the Scripture. He gathered all of these people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. That would be Micah. And then they quote him. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men determined from them what time the star appeared the time the baby Jesus was born and he sent them to Bethlehem and said go and search carefully for the young child not baby and when you find him bring back word to me that I may come worship him also he didn't want to worship him he wanted to kill him when, he heard the, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. If you read verses 8 through 21, you'll see the phrase child is in there nine times. Not baby, child. Verse 10 When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, not a stable not the cave inside of, of, of the wall of, of, of a rock they came into a house and there they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold, frankincense and myrrh then being divinely warned in a dream so that they, that they shall not return to Herod they departed for their own country another way so let's say it this way these guys came to worship Jesus. And out of what we're going to look at, I want to show you three things we can learn from their worship. They came to worship Jesus. Here's the first thing they came with an expectant an expectant worship. It was expectant. In other words, they came expecting something to happen when they entered the presence of the king. They were expecting something. Now I want to tell you a few things about these wise men that we call them. They're really called Magi. And that is a Greek word for a group of men. Magi, this is where we get our word magic. The Magi are from the East. They're not Jewish people. They were magicians, astronomers, astrologers, and sorcerers. This group of Magi. Now this particular group that traveled to see Jesus, they, I, I believe that they were probably believers in God, and I'll show you why I believe that as we break this down. Let's look at the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter, uh, cha- chapter 2, verse 2. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came out and stood before the king. And by the way, they couldn't tell him the dream. So these men came from a group called Magi. They were magicians. And before you're too judgmental and too hard on it, listen, I I want you to understand, we're all born with a hunger for the supernatural. All of us are. And so then, if you were not part of Israel, you didn't know about God. You may have heard rumors about the God of Israel, but you didn't know the God of Israel. And even today, if you're not a believer, people today, you still have a hunger to know the supernatural. That's why today, in many cultures, there are still witch doctors and there's sorcerers and and, and, and fortune telling and all these different things. So, people still have the desire, and I believe these men had the desire for the supernatural. Even back to Moses when he went to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Remember, there were magicians there with Pharaoh. Many theologians and historians believe. I'm going to refer back to a man in the Old Testament. His name is Balaam. If you don't know the story, you can look it up. Many theologians and historians believe that Balaam, he's the guy that the king of Moab hired to put a curse on Israel when they were coming through the wilderness. He hired Balaam because Balaam was a sorcerer, a magician, one who cast spells on people and spoke curses over people. And many theologians believe that he's the father or the founder of the Magi. And when he came to cast the curse on Israel, God wouldn't let him do it. Now, here's what a lot of people don't know. Many don't know that Balaam was actually the first one to prophesy about the star. And and, and this is possibly where these Persian Magi learned about the star is from Balaam. And I'll show you the scriptures, Numbers 24, 17. He said, and, and, and listen, he's, he's, he's speaking prophetically under God's spirit. And he said, I see him, the Messiah. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So these Persians go back all the way to Balaam. And the first one, because Moab, remember, was, he, he was conquered by Persia. So when they would go back and they started to study their history, like like you would study the Bible and history, when they started studying their history and they go back to one of their prophets and probably the founder of their organization, they find he can't curse Israel because of their God. He actually blessed Israel and then he prophesies about this star. I know you remember the story of, of Esther. Well, that was in Persia. And they had taken over, and they were going to kill all the Jewish people. And God rescued, through Mordecai and through Esther, God rescued the Jewish people. So when the Persians are studying their history, they realized, once again, the God of Israel rescued his people. If you remember Daniel, we've read from Daniel, that time period is called the Babylonian captivity. And that was Persia. Those Persians then, that we just read, were magicians, magi, astrologers. They could not interpret the dream of the king, but a Jewish man could. And that same Jewish man was rescued from a lion's den. And three other Jewish men were rescued from a fiery furnace. So these Persians, reading their history, keeping and understanding, they're seeing a pattern that the God of the Jews rescues his people. And so they go back to the prophecy that a star is going to show where this Messiah is going to come. Now watch what Daniel does. And you can read it. It's in the book of Daniel. Daniel then prophesies that the Messiah is going to come in 483 years. And 483 years later, you say, well, is that when Jesus came? No, he was actually born 453 years So where's the discrepancy? Well, he began his ministry. How old was Jesus? 30. He was 30. At 30 to 453, 483 years. Here's what the Persians knew. They noticed from studying the the history that the Jewish people began their ministry when they were 30 years old. Joseph was probably 30 when he became the number two man under Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, David was a king for the first time when he was 30 years old. Over the tribe of over Judah, many many believe that Daniel was thirty when he interpreted this dream. Now now we don't know that from the Bible; we know that from Jewish historians. So here's what these Persian magi did: they go back thirty years, and the planets lined up at that time, and they see the star, and then they travel. And and, and listen, they were not on camels. You, You don't have to take them out of your nativity scene. It's okay. It's okay. They were on Persian horses the finest horses in the world and there was not three there was either from 12 to 14 of them they traveled about a thousand miles and it took them nine months to travel that distance they were not at the stable we we don't know how long it took them to pack up and get on the road and leave but we do know that Jesus was probably around nine to 18 months old when they got there When Herod determined the timeline, remember what he did. He started killing the baby boys two and under. Why? Because Jesus was a toddler, not a baby, when the wise man came. They were not at the stable. It's very clearly, you know, it said they they came into a house, not a barn, not a stable. When they came into the house, they saw the young child, not a newborn baby. And, And listen... Don't think I'm against nativity scenes. I'm not. I love nativity scenes. I'm not against them personally. I, I, I think we should put one on every government piece of property on, on the planet. I mean. That's just what I believe. <laughs> and that would give them something else to focus on instead of all the other stuff. Anyway, here's my point. Listen, I've setting up a lot of history, I know. It has been passed down for hundreds of years about this Messiah. And these Persian men travel a thousand miles to worship him. So here's my question for you. If they made that much effort to get into his presence, why don't we make just a little effort to get into his presence? See, they knew, and they were expectant. You should have an expectance coming up in your heart on Christmas Eve that you're going to enter into his presence on Christmas Eve with his people in his church. Listen, you can enter into his presence every day, and that's good, and you should do that, but there's nothing like coming into his house and entering into the presence of God with his people. There's nothing like that. It is an incredible time. So I want you to understand, get, get where I'm going with this. I know you enjoy the messages at City Hope Church. But the message is the icing on the cake. The cake is the presence of God. And if all you want is icing, that's going to give you a sugar high, and you're going to follow a man or a personality and not the Word or Jesus. Do you hear me? We are not a personality-driven church. We are a presence-driven church, the presence of God. Because, listen, when you go after the cake, and let's just pretend cake's healthy, isn't it? Most most of it is. It is today and tomorrow. I know that. Uh, (laughs) Let's pretend it's healthy. If you take in the cake, the icing is just on top of that to help enhance the cake that you're taking in. Are you with me? How many of you are ready to leave right now and go eat cake? So, expect his presence today in this service at the end of this service expect his presence today second thing we've learned is expressive worship Matthew 2 10 we've already read it but watch what it said when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him two phrases I want you to look at they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy I mean the Bible could have just said they rejoiced Could have just used the verb they rejoiced, but it adds the word joy. So they rejoiced with joy. But then it adds the word great. And then it adds the word exceedingly. So they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. What did they do? They expressed their worship. They expressed it. The second phrase is, the one I want you to really see, is they fell down. This is not the word in the Greek for bow or bend. This is a very uncommon word in the New Testament Greek. It literally means to fall down violently and be shattered. It, it would be like one of the pictures of this word is a building that actually collapses. You can get the image, you've probably seen the buildings where they implode. They put the dynamite around, they implode, and it falls in. It, 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 And remember the word dynamite, by the way, comes from a Greek word dynamo, and that refers to the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's probably how they brought down the walls of Jericho. They just packed it with dynamo by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the walls fell down and shattered. And that's got nothing to do with Christmas, but it's like, man, that's got to be what happened. But a better picture of this word is this. It would be like me taking a fragile vase and throwing it down violently, and it's shattering that's what the wise men did. But, but I want you to get the picture. I want you to understand. They fell down, but think about this. We, we have six grandchildren. Uh, two are toddlers right now. And I love them. But when I come into the room, I don't fall down in their presence. And they're the cutest toddlers in the whole church. I know, I've seen yours. I had one sweet grandmother come up to me after the last service with her beautiful toddler, wanting to, and it was a beautiful baby, wanted me to voice her opinion. I said, Listen, all you have to do is start a church, get a microphone in a pulpit, and you can say whatever you want to say about your grandkids. But I wouldn't dare bow down if I bowed down in front of those two little guys. They'll get on top of me and beat me up. You know, they'll crawl all over you and kick you and all that. I want you to see this grown men from the east, magi, and they are bowing down in front of a toddler. They walk into a house. They saw a toddler fell down violently, but watch, but on the inside, they were shattered in his presence, Their soulless man, their emotions were shattered. They were in the presence of the king and everything inside of them changed. And listen, by the way, these men were not the unintelligent or the socially unacceptable men of that day. They were the wealthy, intelligent of the day. And they collapsed. So, would it be a bad idea if every now and then you collapsed in his presence? so everything inside can just be shattered and opened up? Listen. I know that a lot of you, you you will go ballistic when when the winning touchdown happens. You you don't hold back. You let it go. Sometimes it's the other way. It's coming out, going, but yeah. You, you, You let it go. But you need to let go of sometimes in worship because the king's been born you don't need to be all stiff and you don't need to be all worried about what somebody's thinking you, you need to let it go I mean you really do you need to I don't know if this will work it did in the last one but this is a whole different group so I don't know if this will work for you but would you do this for me will you turn to the person beside you and say for God's sake let yourself go sometime Go ahead. Try it. Look at the verse. For God's sake, will you let yourself go sometime? See how you loosened up? Listen. For the sake of God, the God of the universe, they fell down and they worshiped Jesus. And do you understand? That one day, every person, every billionaire, every atheist, every college professor, every actor, every politician is going to fall down in His presence and declare Him Lord of Lords, Lord of Lords. So let me just give you a couple of scriptures real quick. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms forty-seven and one: "Oh, clap your hands, all you people." Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. I think you do that at ball games, but it's okay in here. Psalms 95 and 1, oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Verse 6, oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our master. Psalms 134 and 2, lift up your hands in the church, the sanctuary. Bless the Lord. Now, I understand that many of you grew up in a church where you didn't do that. But I want you to understand how this works. You come in and you offer up praise. Those are instruments of praise your voice, your hands, the clap. You praise. And then his presence comes and you begin to worship. Now, I I didn't see this growing up in church, but I've seen this many times since we've started this church. I've actually seen people, when they begin to worship, right in their seats, just kneel down. Just kneel down and begin to worship. And here's what I thought when I first saw that. I thought, wow, these people are expressively sincere about their worship of the king. Are you sincere and expressive with your worship of Jesus? Are you just trying to hurry up and get through the songs to get to the icing? When you, listen, when you're sincere and express your worship, your life will never be the same. The only thing that can change your life more dramatically than worship is salvation because salvation is what brings that spirit man alive. When the spirit man's alive, now worship is what brings the spirit of God to touch the spirit of man so that man can change and grow and mature. You can, in the presence of God, in a second, he can do more inside of you, but it comes through an act of worship. It doesn't come through just listening or reading. It comes through an act of worship where that you bend or whether you stand or whether you, whatever you do, you cry out and you express your love and your gratitude to the king that came to the earth to save our, save our souls. Right? Here's the third thing we're going to learn, extravagant worship. We've already read it, but verse 11 said this, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You, you need to know that these gifts had prophetic significance. But the magi didn't know about it, probably. And I, I'll tell you in a moment why they offered these three gifts. They didn't offer these because of the prophetic significance. And I'll show you why. So let me, let me show you what the, the significance. Gold represents Royalty. Frankincense represents divinity. Frankincense, when you frank you pray unto God, your prayers go up like incense to God, and myrrh represents humanity. So this was his humanity, his divinity, and his royalty, and that was represented prophetically. Now it's very simple why the Persians brought these three gifts. These were the three best resources that persia had to offer they were known they were famous for having these three resources of gold frankincense and myrrh so here's my point they brought their best do you bring your best when you come to worship do you bring your best and i have to admit there are many times I, i haven't brought my best I'm thinking about something else. I'm distracted. I even go through the songs and singing out of my mouth, but my mind is doing something else. You know, even in quiet times, it's just just not my best. They brought their best. And then, watch, they brought their best. Then the Scripture says they opened their treasures. In those days when they traveled, they, they, they didn't have traveler's checks, and they didn't have banks and ATMs and debit. They didn't have any of that, okay? So they had to bring enough funds In case some unforeseen something happened, they couldn't get home. So if they're going to take enough funds to travel for nine months, then they're going to carry enough funds to travel back nine months. But most of them would carry three times the amount needed. You never knew. You might get stuck in a famine. So, you know, they they may have carried 24 months of resource or 36 months of resource. So let's just say they're carrying about 36 months of gold with them that was their treasury. And it says they opened their treasury. This is how I see it in my mind. This is not what the scripture says, but I'll take the liberty just to say what I see it in my mind. I see them standing there looking at the king, Jesus. And something so glorious was going on from this toddler that this one man said to his servant traveling with him, "Open the treasury." And this servant may have said, But, sir, we, we have to keep enough to get home. And I think he would have said, being from South Alabama, I would have thought he would have said, Shut up and get the goal. Now, I know that offends you because some of people don't say shut up, but I'm just telling you, I think he probably said, Shut up and get the goal and get all of it. I think that's the way we should worship. Sometimes that's the only way you can worship. Is to tell your flesh, shut up, I'm giving it all. Shut up, I'm going to sing with my whole heart. Shut up, I'm going to express my gratitude and my thanks to my king. When you, you you see, listen. By the way, you, you, you can never separate worship and giving. That's why 12, 13 years ago, or longer, 14 years, we stop passing a plate. Because giving is an act of worship. You cannot separate them. And, and, and if you look in the Scriptures, you look. When you find people in Scripture that worshipped, they automatically gave. They first gave offerings, and then they would give sacrificially. They would give tithes, and then they would give above the tithes. And if you want to go to a new level in your worship, Go to a new level in your giving. They gave. That's what these guys did. Now let me close it with this. Watch. These guys, remember, came to Jerusalem and said, where is he born the king of Jews? They figured he'd be in Jerusalem, the capital. And they, they had to get to the Bible to find out that, oh, no, 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 he's in Bethlehem, five miles south. They didn't know where he was. So watch this. We read it in verse twelve as a phrase, and it starts with the word then. The word then means after they worshipped. Listen to it. Then, after they worshipped, being divinely warned in a dream by God that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country a different way. So, so look at me. Look at me. P- please don't forget this. Please do not forget this. If you, if you don't get anything, get this. Do not forget this. Before they worshipped, before they entered Jesus' presence, they had to go to people to find out what the Bible says. They had to depend on someone else to tell them what the Word says. But after they entered His presence and they worshipped Him, God spoke to them directly. Listen, that's incredibly amazing. That is the most powerful thing. Yes, we have a living king who's at the right hand of the Father, but when we come into his presence and worship him, daily he gives us direction. Daily he gives us insight. There's nothing wrong with reading and studying, but I know where the source is. And listen, if you're not a worshiper, you will always have to depend on somebody else. What does this mean? What does that mean? That's why we have so many denominations scattered off on one little tangent of Scripture taken out of context. That's why you have people chasing all over the place. But why? Because they're following what this one said or that one said, and they don't know and have not allowed the Spirit of God to confirm what God said. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's that important. Once you get into the habit of entering God's presence on a regular basis, God will speak to you on a regular basis. And listen to me. It may not be about a star. It may be about a job you should take. It may be about direction with your children or your teenagers. It it may be just insight for that day. But, But God, the living God of the universe, can speak to us when we honor and worship the King And we come into his presence. And we're expressive. And we expect to hear. And we're extravagant. Things in our life change. I want us to do that here. I I want us to do that now. So here's what we're going to do. In front of you, in in the chair, our in the seat back, or if you're on the front row under the seat, you'll find a communion cup. To me, this is the most expressive worship we can offer. When you get the cup, I want you to stand up. I don't want you to leave. The guys at the door have been told if you leave to take you down. (laughs) Not really, not really. But if they do, I'm okay with it. This is the most important part of the service. It's like the five, last five minutes of a movie. You get up and leave. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a time of worship. You see, you're already opening the cups. I didn't even tell you to open the cups. You're so aggressive. You're just, you, just, you just can't wait. That's okay. I'm kidding. Here's what we're going to do together. We're going to worship by song and then we're going to stop and I'm going to lead you through communion and then we're going to worship through song and a campus pastor will dismiss you. Okay? Are we all good on that? So we're not leaving. We're going to worship. You ready? Let's sing. You'll know this song.
1: You didn't Jesus, you grow.
0: you to take that wafer and I want you to break it in half. Then I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I'm waiting. It's okay. Those things are hard to get open sometimes. Pray this. Lord, I ask you today to bless this bread that represents the body of Christ that was born on Christmas Day. Now take the bread. Now pull the next layer off for the cup. And repeat after me in this prayer. Lord, I ask you to bless the fruit of the vine that represents the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me for my sins and my healing. Now take the cup. Lord, we ask you to receive this act of worship. We ask you to bring strength and health to us spiritually, emotionally, physically, because of this new covenant that was sealed through the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But that could not have happened had he not come to this earth as a human being. And Jesus, as we enter into a time of worship now, we thank you for your love, your peace, and your joy that will follow us throughout this season and into the new season that's to come. In Christ's name, amen. Now here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing that song again. And I want you to worship. I want you to be expressive. I want you to be loud. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. But I want us to take what we've received from his word, and I want us to worship. Normally on Christmas Day, we lead you through Uh, a live stream of communion in your home from my home what we're asking you to do this year is when you leave at the doors and the big buckets their communion cups get one for your family and you do it yourself tomorrow at your home whenever you want to do it you just do communion at your home on christmas day but now that we have finished that act of worship i want us to sing unto the lord are you ready Two people are ready. I know all the campuses, I could hear them. They're all ready, but Malba's a little slow. Uh, Are you ready to worship? Let's worship.